talking about how we can fail forward in life. And we've been looking at uh, different aspects of what that really means uh, for us through understanding and growing in our faith, the sanctification process, that real big word that really just means growing in our faith. Um, we need to, to learn how to grow from our failure. And the idea really being that um, failing forward means that we learn from our mistakes and that we, um, we improve and, and eventually succeed more than, uh, more than we fail. And failure is uh, something that is a, a great equalizer in a lot of ways. Failure is the great equalizer in this, that all of us here have failed in some way, shape, or form. None, none of us have, uh, you know, journeyed outside the realm of failure. We've all failed in some way um, in our life. And so to wrap up this series, I want to look at um, a subject that really is the culmination of what it really means to fail forward. And it is this word, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Um, and let me start this way. Last Sunday, um, I was actually convicted right after the service last Sunday about uh, a joke that I made, and I need to ask for forgiveness from my church family uh, for it. Um, some of you may have not even caught it. It doesn't matter. Uh, I made a misstep last week, and I need to ask for forgiveness because I made a joke about a home improvement show um, that may have landed wrong, and it may have sounded sexist, and it was not my intent. It was not my heart, um, so please forgive me. And I'm sorry, because words matter. Words matter as we know. And, uh, and I, I need to lead in that way as well and just be straight up honest that I'm learning to fail forward here also. Um, and so as we move forward together and fail forward together, I felt um, really convicted to start right there. Um, and so let me ask this question as we, as we do fail forward. Is it about me or is it about us? And here's what I mean by that. Is it about just us individually or is it about us collectively? Um, failing forward in the, in the Christian life, is it about the individual so much or is it about the community or is it a little bit of both? Much of what we've talked about has been really aimed from a personal perspective, like the individual um, Level And certainly it starts and ends there, without a doubt. It starts and ends there with our personal relationship with Jesus. But, you know, it's really hard sometimes to accept other people's failures. It can be really hard, especially in the church. Christians hurt us. Christians can hurt us. Um, have you ever been hurt by another Christian? If you're alive, probably. <laughs> we all have, right? We've all been hurt by other believers. Um, and we've been the inflictor of pain as well, myself included. Um, and when we get hurt by other believers, and this is something that we do outside of the church, but we do this inside the church also um, in, in sometimes a little bit bigger way. A couple of things can happen, do happen or can happen. We, we shun them or outcast, you know, make them an outcast and then we gossip about them, even though we know we shouldn't do either of those. We walk away from them or from the church completely, right? We step back from church community and Christian community or we ignore it and just bury it and kind of pretend it doesn't happen or didn't happen. And all three of those things, and there are more things as well, but those really categorize a lot of it. None of those are how God says we should handle it. None of those are helpful when it really comes down to it. And the other thing is that all of them really have a strong leaning toward isolation, 
toward a, a loan um, and, and by yourself. That whole idea. We, we, pull, we pull back in those moments. And they go against the idea of community, family, the body of Christ, all those things. But, but all of them are natural reactions because we're all broken, selfish, sinful people. Every one of us. And it's a hard tension that we face. It can be a hard tension there, showing forgiveness and love to believers. We ought to know better. We ought to know better. And, and it shatters expectations of, of what Christian community really means. And much of it stems from a lack of unity in the body of Christ. A lack of unity in the body of Christ. And more specifically, a lack of understanding what unity really and truly means. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 17. That's where I'm going to start. Um, and I'm going to kind of be bouncing around to a few different verses today. Um, so if you want to follow along in the Bible app, that would be a great place for you to start as well. You can uh, pull up the free Bible app, go to events and look up Connect Church in Akron, Ohio, and you can follow along there. Um, and I want to start in John 17. And as, as you're turning there or scrolling there, let me set it up uh, in some ways. Jesus is in the garden praying. And this entire chapter is Jesus praying. It's, a, it's an awesome chapter. And as he's praying, he's praying for you and for me. He's praying for the church. And he goes a, a couple of different directions with this, but he ultimately lands in, in, in a particular um, vein that I want us to look at um, in, a, in a very specific way. He's talking to the church. He's talking to those that he's leaving behind. Um, and, he, and he kind of culminates it in this way, beginning in chapter uh, uh, Chapter 17, beginning in verse 20 through 23. Take a look at this. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So he says a few different things in here that's really aimed at us, but ultimately Jesus prayed for unity. He prayed for unity for his followers because he knew that that would be the crux of everything when it comes to the mission of the church. A house divided cannot stand. Mark chapter three. And so unity, when we talk about the word unity, all right, so warning, hot take, unpopular opinion, post about to happen here, right? Just as your kind of heads up warning. The word unity has been completely abused and misused over the last few years. And the church has not helped. The church has not helped. We have not failed forward here. Not as good as we could have. Not as, as good as we should have. We have just failed in many ways. And I'm including myself in this. I'm including myself in this. Church leaders, we can do better. The church, we can do better. Now be confident though because unity is found in Jesus Christ, not in us. Unity is found in, in the Spirit of God working, not, not in us. And it's not by just agreeing with the masses 
or being upset because the masses don't agree with me. If that's how we're defining unity, that, that, that's incorrect. Unity does not always equal intellectual agreement. Unity does not always equal intellectual agreement. Notice what Jesus said here. If you look back at those verses, he said, then, after unity, is what he was saying. If you look at it progressively, then, after that, that the world will know, the world will know that you sent me and have loved them. And that unity cannot happen if we do not forgive so that we can fail forward together. It's got to start there. And why can I say that? Why can I say that? Well, look at how Paul broke it down to the church in Ephesus. As he's writing in Ephesians chapter 4, he says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Listen, all of you who are followers of Jesus have received a calling from the Lord. It's not just me. It's not just pastors. We've all, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a calling from the Lord. So to live a life worthy of the calling, what? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So this is our definition of unity right here. This is a much better definition of unity. So let's break it down. Because to live out the calling and making every effort toward unity, then Paul tells us to bear with one another and bear with one another's burdens and give grace for one another's failures. What's another way to say that? Forgiveness. Forgiveness is another way to say that. So I hope you see the direct link here between forgiveness and unity. Because they coexist. They must coexist. And here's what that doesn't mean. Here's what this doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that we shun people or cast them out. It doesn't mean that we pull back from the community that we have when we've failed or when someone else has failed. That we, that we pull back. And it doesn't mean that we ignore it or we take it or bury it. It means we deal with it. <laughs> we deal with it. Church, we need to just deal with it. Followers of Jesus should deal with it. We shouldn't let it go and just act like everyone else. Unity and forgiveness can't happen if we don't deal with it. Church, we should be leading in this area of the world and the, because the world is awful at it. The world's awful at it and we should be leading here. So we need to make the decision as followers of Jesus that we deal with it and we deal with it God's way. And it's gotta start with us individually so that it can work through us in community and collectively. Now, does that mean that everything's gonna wind up happy and um, you know resolved and hugs all around? And no, not necessarily. Not necessarily, it doesn't. Jesus, I don't know, you, you may have noticed this or not. Jesus walked away from plenty of people. He walked away from plenty of people and he didn't chase after them either. It doesn't mean he was bitter or anything about that. He just, he dealt with it and then if needed, walked away from them. But he was united with the father. He was united with the followers that were there for the cause and for the cause of the church. And here's the thing, if we handle it God's way, there won't be bitterness, there won't be unforgiveness, and you'll be able to stand before God and before the mirror knowing 
that you followed Jesus' example. So where do we go from here? What do, what do we do about this? Where do we start? Let's go back to a part of the verse here for a second. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, yes, I have a connection point today because I always do. But if you don't walk away with anything else and you remember these words, these will make a huge impact relationally and collectively in your life. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. There's so much importance in virtually every word there. And we need this so that the inevitable wrongs that will happen, because they will, inevitable wrongs will happen. We are sinful people. We will wrong each other. We will mess it up. Just because we're a part of the body of Christ and a part of the family of God doesn't mean that we're not going to hurt each other still. We will. We will. It's going to happen. But it won't work against God's purpose of bringing all things together in Jesus if we do these things if we handle it this way. And it should be illustrated through the church, as I've said. It should be illustrated through us. We need to bear with one another. We need to bear with one another. And so what does that mean, to bear with one another? Are we just supposed to put up with people? Yeah, sort of. <laughs> I mean, in, in many ways, that's a lot of what this is saying. The original word actually refers to enduring with respect to things or persons. But, but we do this bearing with one another in love. In love. That's the, that's the difference maker here. That's the thing that Jesus said, they will know that you are my followers by your love for one another. And that is insinuating the idea of unity and forgiveness all in itself as well. Great theologian named Charles Spurgeon said this. Divisions in churches never begin with those full of love to the Savior. Read that again. Divisions in churches never begin with those full of love to the Savior. If he had a microphone then, he would... Right? Because there's not a whole lot to add to that. In fact, there's nothing to add to that. You can't sugarcoat it. And it's probably a little bit of a, of a gut punch to, to us when, when we really read that and like own that statement. When we have division of the church, it's because of a lack of love for Jesus. And we can't bear with one another if we don't love Jesus first. It's really hard to bear with someone with my own love because my own preferences get in the way. My own perspectives get in the way. But if I've got the love of Jesus, boy, we can see them through the lens of Christ and it makes the idea of bearing with one another doable through the power of God, not through the power of us. My favorite chapter in the Bible, Colossians chapter 3, says this. Bear with each other and forgive one another. Paul's kind of saying the same thing in a different way. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's a big statement there, by the way. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We see it over and over again. That word, unity, it's there again. Bear with one another or uh, to make allowance or to give room um, is another way to say it. And not just for our faults, but also for our differences. It's not just for our faults, it's also for our differences. And love brings it together in unity. And if we don't forgive, 
we just are injecting ourselves with poison. If we just hang on to hurts, we're just injecting ourselves with poison and, and, and we're not really allowing the Holy Spirit to use us in, to the fullest extent in which he could because we've got that block up right there. Because a lack of forgiveness turns into bitterness and bitterness is poison. Bitterness turns into poison. And for, forgiveness is not just a single act, by the way. It's not just a single act and a couple of words. It's, it's an act of choice. It's, it's not just, okay, for those of us that have kids, and some of you remember this too, right? Your, your kids are arguing, you're like, tell them you're sorry. You know, sorry. <laughs> yeah, you, you totally meant that, right? right? Do, do you forgive them? Yes. Okay. Right? We've seen it. We've done it. But you know what? As adults, we don't do it much better. We don't do it much better. We're just better at masking it. And, and we do the exact same thing. Listen, it's an active choice. It's not just a couple of words. Here's another good way to put it. Intentional forgetfulness. Now, this doesn't put a neat little bow on it completely. I understand it's a little bit deeper than that. And, and, but this is a great place to start when it comes to the idea of forgiveness because it's an active choice. Forgiveness is an active choice to overcome past hurts and past indecencies um, with, with a conscious, intentional forgetfulness. Some things are really, really hard to get over. You're like, yeah, I can... Okay, somebody took my sandwich. I guess I can do that. I can do intentional forgiveness, forgetfulness on that, right? But man, what about, what about deeper hurts? What about like family hurts? What about, what about things that have, have gone deeper for, for, for a long time? About things that have been done to us publicly? Sometimes those things are, are difficult. But let me ask you this question. Let me, let me frame it this way, if you're thinking about that. Where have you seen God? Where have you seen God maybe use the hard things for, for his good and his glory? And he's worked those things out in your life. I bet you have seen that more than you realize and you just haven't looked for it. Now, let me put this frame on it as well. If there's been forgiveness or a lack of harboring some things there, imagine what he could have done had godly forgiveness been involved in that because God can take past hurts and use them for his glory and for your good. And I bet he has done that in the past. You add the layer of forgiveness and unity to that, imagine the opportunities that maybe you stifled of what God could have done in and through your life and still could because there's always time to make things right. There's always time to make things right. Simply put, to fail forward, we must forgive. If we're gonna fail forward, if we're gonna take the failures in our life that inevitably happen because of the decisions that we make and even others make around us, and we're gonna move forward in the way that God is calling us to move forward as believers, we must forgive. This isn't, this isn't optional. We must, or it's going to hold us back from what God really wants to do. For a lot of us, it seems easier said than done. I understand that. So should we just be naive 
and just shove sins to the side, shove the, the truth to the side at, at the church so that we can just get along with everybody? Is that, is, that, is that what I'm saying here? That we just push stuff aside? No, that's not what I'm saying and that's not what the Bible is saying either. We can't do that. To seek forgiveness in word alone is never gonna bring about authentic change and it's never gonna bring about reconciliation in a way that can help us to move forward. So we can't bury it and we can't just forget about it and we can't shove it to the side. And it's hard to accept and bear with people who have failed us. It is. And you know why it is? Because forgiveness costs something. Forgiveness costs something. It costs us something. It costs us time. It costs us effort. It requires more of us than we want to give because we're selfish, sinful people. And it requires valuing others above ourselves and we don't naturally do that. And maybe it means having an awkward conversation. Maybe it means uh, some additional time with a person to have that conversation. Maybe it means just investing additional time in, in other ways to make that happen. Maybe it's uh, additional prayer time. Imagine that. Additional prayer time. Maybe it's admitting that the problem's not everyone else. Maybe it's giving benefit of the doubt to somebody who, yeah, you could probably make a case they don't deserve it, but God gave you the benefit of the doubt. Matthew 18 is a great, great chapter that talks about uh, forgiveness and reconciliation where uh, the apostles came to Jesus and said, so how do we handle this? If we've got a beef amongst ourselves, how do we handle this? How do we handle this the right way? And in verses 15 through 17, Jesus says, well, it needs to start with the two of you. If there's, if there's a problem between a couple of you, it needs to start there. It needs to start with the two of you sitting down and having a conversation, not gossiping or griping about each other behind each other's back or any of that stuff, but actually like go to the person. And then if that doesn't work, then maybe bring a couple more godly people into the conversation. Godly people into the conversation um, and, and continue the conversation that way if needed. And then if that doesn't work, go a little further and bring some more people in from the church. Maybe it's church leadership that needs to come in and be a part of that as well. And, and if that doesn't solve it, if that doesn't solve it, then, then part ways if the unrepentant person is not gonna budge. And here's what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean building your side of the jury versus the other side of the jury. You're not like getting lawyers on each side to like make your case so you can, you know, Johnny Depp, Amber Heard thing happening, right? That's not what we're talking about with when we're talking about reconciliation and, and coming together. It, it means coming together with a forgiveness mentality and an attitude, and it starts with forgiveness so that everyone can move forward. But believe it or not, Jesus is saying that after you take those steps, if, if the person won't budge, the unrepentant person will not budge, take a step back and, and, and walk away. Take a step back. And then Peter, like he does, asks a pointed question that is, I guess, appropriate, but at the same time, um, really interesting perspective because I can imagine he kind of like, after Jesus answered him, was like, oh, once again, 
because that's just the way Peter rolls here. And uh, in verse 21 in Matthew 18, right after Jesus explains this, this is what he says. And Peter came to him and asked, Lord, so how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Uh, Seven times? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. 70 times seven. And so here's the thing to understand. In the day, the Jewish rabbis, they would say three times is acceptable. So when, when he was saying seven, he thought he was being like, like really forgiving. Like, I'm, I'm gonna double that plus one and it's God's number. Ooh, what's up? You know, and so he's like seven times. And Jesus is like, uh, no, 70 times seven. And so you, what he was not saying was 490 times. Okay, if you're, if you're doing the math on that and going, so 490 times, awesome. I'll just keep an Excel spreadsheet and make sure I keep track of all my forgiveness times with everybody. Because um, once I get to 491, peace, I'm done, right? That's, <laughs> that's not what he was saying at all. What he was really um, getting to was that there is an unlimited amount of time, of times that you're going to forgive someone. It's an unlimited amount of times. Because here's the deal, church. No one can possibly offend you to the extent that your sins have offended God. Think about that. No one can possibly offend me to the extent that my sins have offended God. And if that doesn't humble you, God has forgiven us such a great debt, such a great debt that any debt owed to us is absolutely insignificant in comparison. And so we have to apply this principle to the little things and the big things as well in our life. You know, we have a core value here at the church that's hanging up on the wall and it says this, we believe all people matter to God and therefore matter to us. And so if we really believe that, then we need to start living it out through unity and the path to unity is paved with forgiveness. The path to unity is paved with forgiveness. And, and it really speaks to the relational intention of the church because it's about people. It's about people. It's not about preferences. It's about loving people where they are and loving them too much to let them stay there, just like Jesus does for you and for me. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul said this, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone, a new life has begun. And so this really evokes the idea, again, of unity and forgiveness because the old life is gone. We are not defined by our past. We're not defined by our past. Someone that gives, gives their life to Jesus, they are no longer defined by their past and our past is not our future because we are all under construction as we talked about last week. Forgiveness is not free. Forgiveness is not free, and the, and the true picture of forgiveness is really found in the cross of Christ. That's the true picture of forgiveness. He was motivated by love for you and for me, and motivated by the love of the Father who loved you so much that he made the ultimate sacrifice to send his son to be the payment for your sin and for mine. And the cross, it really shows the seriousness of sin as well as the purpose and power of God to overcome it. And when we understand what Jesus has done for us and we really get our head around that, it's so much more difficult, or at least it should be, 
to continue in the sin of not forgiving others because it's just holding you back, especially for our brothers and sisters in Christ because that fights against unity and that's what Jesus was praying for. It costs God everything and it costs you nothing for his forgiveness. Pastor out at Saddleback Church in California, Rick Warren, he said this, our greatest pain God uses for the greatest ministry. Think about that. Our greatest pain God uses for the greatest ministry. Imagine what God could do with the pain that you won't let go or the forgiveness that you won't give up. So the connection point for the day is that we need to fail forward together. Let's fail forward together. Yes, it's about us individually, but it's also about us collectively. It's about failing forward together because we weren't meant to do this life on our own and when we fail, we end up pulling back thinking that we have to do it on our own. And we don't, we're not supposed to. We will fail. We will fail each other. Christians will fail us. But we have to persevere and we have to persevere in love. That's the game changer. Knowing, knowing that we have failed too. We have failed too. We are all growing. We are all growing. We are all failing forward together. And we need to remember that a little more often. And as we grow in our personal walk with Jesus, we have to give grace to each other. We have to be willing to give grace to each other. And we must give each other accountability. We must be able to do it in a way that's safe so that we feel safe to do that with each other. Not thinking that we're beyond the sin that's in our own hearts and that's in our own life. Nobody here is better than another. We're all sinners and we all need Jesus. So as we wrap the whole series up, let's fail forward together, church. Will you bow your heads with me? You know, because of what Jesus has done, we can say that sin, it is not our master. We will magnify Jesus. We will admit that we don't have it all together and that Jesus is in control. And because Jesus is in control, we will not be defined by our failure. We are defined by who he is, not who we think we failed to be. We are who he says we are. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you feel like you've, you've failed and, and you've had to just be on your own the whole time, or there's forgiveness that, that needs to be given or that you won't let go of, will you give that over to the Lord maybe right now? Will you maybe come to the Lord? Because he's just standing there with his arms wide open. All you have to do is turn to him. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more or make him love you less. He loves you just as you are. And he wants to walk with you through this life as we fail forward together as the body of Christ. And if you don't have a relationship with him, maybe some of those things have been holding you back from giving your life to Jesus. I would, I would ask you if you'd be willing to give your life to him maybe today 
with this understanding of forgiveness and unity as the body of Christ. Jesus, I love you and I thank you so much that you love us no matter what. I thank you that you've, you've made the ultimate sacrifice, that you've forgiven us for the sins that we've done. Lord, there's, there's nothing that somebody can do that can offend us that's worse than what our sins have done to offend you. And so, Father, we ask you for forgiveness and we thank you, Lord, that you love us even in spite of those things, that you sent your son to die for us because we can't save ourselves. Jesus, I pray that if there's one here, if there's one watching that has not given their life to you, that has not made that decision to follow you, Jesus, that today would be the day that they would make that decision. Lord, that they would accept the free gift of eternal life. They would accept the forgiveness from you. There's, there's nothing that, that could have been done so bad that you won't forgive them. Nothing. God, how grateful we are for that. Holy Spirit, I pray you would continue to move through this place and in our hearts in a powerful way. Lord, as we go out today, that we can show that grace, love, and forgiveness to a world that needs it to a world that needs Christian unity. Not just intellectual agreement with everybody's opinions, Lord, but unity in you, Jesus. And, and I pray that we can be, as your church, the catalyst for that in our nation and in this world. But Lord, it needs to start with us individually. So God, I pray you would do an, a mighty work in our hearts individually so that we can make a difference collectively. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.